Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Hey Church, I am excited to be carrying on our series on books of the Bible. And I have the privilege of going through 12 books of the Bible with you from Joshua to Esther in which we call the books of history. Now, obviously I'm not gonna go through every single book um, and read all the 12 books to you, otherwise we'd be here um, for hours, but we're gonna be going through a sort of a brief synopsis and sort of a teaching mode of what each book uh, shows us, kind of a synopsis of each, really quick snapshot of each book from Joshua to Esther, and then we're gonna dive into something I believe that God wants to kind of pull out and reveal to us through his scriptures. Now, I love these books. It's some of my favorite books of the Bible with some of my favorite Bible characters. Um, and what I love about this is that, it's, although we call it books of history, it, it isn't old, dusty, musty, moldy history. This is real people having real adventures with real stories and all of it is relevant to us. Like the whole of scripture is relevant to us now in our day that as we read the word of God and as we've been going through the series, I hope we can see that, that, that all of it reveals God's purposes to us. It shows us who he is. It shows us who we are. It shows us the kingdom of God and there are threads and there's a wonderful oneness throughout the whole of scripture that we can find of God speaking to his people and um, through various, uh, uh, year, it, over various years, through various people and different generations, but having the same oneness and same, effectively the same message throughout the whole of scripture. And so I'm excited. It's not fairy tales. It's not folklore. It's not fantasy. This is real life stories from Genesis to Revelation. All of it is God breathed, the God breathed word that he brings to us. It's, it's, it's the breath of God to us. As 2 Timothy 3.14 says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which you are able to make, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed or is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love the Bible. It makes me wise. It leads me to salvation. It teaches me. It corrects me. It challenges me. It trains me in righteousness and it equips me for good works. So as I say, I've got the privilege of diving into 12 books of the Bible, um, which are the books of history some of my favorite stories. And we're gonna start with uh, sort of an overview and then we'll get into some juicy bits afterwards. So it starts with the book of Joshua. And uh, Joshua was written by Joshua in the late 14th century BC, right after Moses hands the reins to Joshua. Um, Joshua brings the Israelites into the promised land. And it's a book about conquest. It's a book about them stepping in to what was promised to them way back in sort of Abraham's day and, and what we saw in, in, in some of the books previous. And it's, it's, it's right after the Israelites are in the desert for 40 years. And this is where we see stories like the walls of Jericho coming down. Joshua divides the land into uh, to the tribes um, um, 
And it's a great book. It's one of my favorites, actually. And then we go into Judges, and this covers about 400 years of history. It's a book that shows a sequence of different leaders that God raises up to, to lead the people of Israel. And some are good leaders and some are bad leaders. And you see this sort of cycle of good and bad leaders where there's a bad leader and God raises up a good leader to save the people. And then there's a bad leader that comes the next generation and God raises up another. It's where we find Deborah, the prophetess. It's where we find Gideon in the wine press. It's where we find Samson and Delilah and mention of haircuts. It's uh, where we get themes of the enemy's head being crushed by the woman where we see a promise way back in Genesis where, where God says that the woman's going to crush the head of the enemy and the enemy's going to bruise the heel of the woman. It's where we see prophetic pictures of that where JL and uh, uh, a certain woman, it says, where JL says it's, she puts the tent peg through the uh, enemy Sisera's head and um, a certain woman, it says, throws a millstone out of a tower and crushes Abimelech's head. It's where we can see threads of that promise that we find in Genesis. Uh, Ruth then is written uh, around the end of the time of Judges. It's about 12th century BC. It's when Samuel was raised up as a judge. And in this book, it shows the, the whole point of it is to show where David came from. Ruth was David's grandmother and it's to show his genealogy, really. It shows the friendship of Ruth and Naomi and um, how Ruth meets Boaz and how he is his, her kinsman redeemer and redeems her and marries her. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful book. We go into 1st and 2nd Samuel, which was mostly written by Samuel in the last half of the 11th century BC. It's all about monarchy. This is when kings come on the scene. Saul is chosen to be king, but he sucks at it. So David, whom I know we all know about, uh, becomes king. And the Davidic kingdom becomes a prophetic picture for us for the kingdom of God that's spoken about all through scripture and culminates in Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is all about, dive into David's kingdom and see what that was all about because it's a prophetic picture of the kingdom of God. We then go into the first and second kings. Uh, those books were written um, 560 to around 539 BC during the exile of the Jews into Babylon. This is where Solomon builds his temple. Solomon dies and the kingdoms get divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. And we're introduced to prophets like Elijah and Elisha. We then go into 1st and 2nd Chronicles. I know we're moving fast here, but I want to give you sort of an overview of all these. And this is a book where in 1st and 2nd Chronicles where Ezra writes these uh, at about 400 BC to show David's kingship. It's to show more history of David. And then we go into Ezra. Ezra writes this in the 5th century BC, and this is all about restoration. Ezra is sent by the king at the time to go back and help restore the temple, which was destroyed. Um, and um, he returns with the Jews from Babylonian captivity. And we see the fulfillment of prophecies from Jeremiah and Isaiah of uh, Babylon's fall. Nehemiah then writes this next book, and it's all about reconstruction. Whereas Ezra builds the temple, Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the walls a generation later. And he's dealing with the reconstruction of the city wall. We find him face opposition and how he deals with that. And then we move into the last book of the his books of history, which is Esther, which is speculated to be around, uh, written around 5th century BC, where Esther is made queen. We see that she saves the people of Israel from 
uh, extension, annihilation, genocide, really, from the hands of Haman. And it's, uh, again, a powerful book of a woman rising up to uh, save the people of God, which is phenomenal. These are the books of history. So many stories, so much gold, so much for us to discover. And it was hard for me to kind of choose where we're going to go with this because there's just so much I love in these books, so much gold, so much richness. And if I had to title this message or retitle this message from books of history, I would call it books of our history. Books of history, our history, our history, mine and your history. Because when we turn to the scriptures, it's like we're going back into the family album. I don't know if, if uh, when you were a younger or um, if when you were a kid, if you remember your parents having physical photo albums, you probably still can find them in the basement in an old uh, box somewhere where we had old albums that we used to flip through and look at memories of photos that um, happen of, you know, trips or family members. Right now, obviously, it's all on Instagram. It's the same thing. It's where we flick through memories. It's where we look back at what we used to look like and we compare ourselves with other members of the family. If we're looking with, through with somebody else, people like to point out the similarities of one family member to another. Like, he's got his dad's nose or Oh man, you can, you can tell she's her mother's daughter. Look at those ears. Um, and there are family resemblances that you can find all the way through those albums. My grandpa is a, a, is a, a sort of a, a picture of what I'm going to look like when I'm 80, I'm sure. It's like looking into the future. So there's no surprise in what I'm going to look like. Just look at my Papa Frank and you know what I'm going to look like at around 80 years old. And when we turn to the Bible... It's like going back through the family album. There are, there are likenesses that you will find everywhere in Scripture because it's our spiritual ancestry. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a walk through these pages of our history, through the books of our history together, and look at a few um, people that Scripture tells us that we're like. It's our spiritual DNA, and we can let's see what, what spiritual similarities we can find together. And so the first one we're going to find in the book of Zechariah, which isn't in the book of history, but Zechariah in chapter 12, we find him um, as a great prophet of restoration. And he's actually, he lives in the time of Ezra when um, they come out of Babylonian captivity and there's a commission from God to rebuild the temple and to rebuild God's house. It was a time of opposition. It was a time of difficulty it was a time when those around them were seeking to stop the work, a time when people were getting tired and they were losing their zeal for the operation. And this prophet along with Haggai comes along and stirs up the people to get them working again. And he gives them words for the moment to motivate them, but he also brings prophetic words for the future, for our day, our time, for me and you. And he says this in Zechariah 12, verses 7 to 9, taking place around the book of Ezra, and it says this, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, and the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. And on that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. Family resemblance. And the house of David shall be like God, and the angel of the Lord will go before them. The feeblest among them promises of God, promise God, will be like David, the feeblest. It's in the album. 
I can see the likeness, will be like David. The feeblest among them, the weakest, the most ineffective, the most self-critical, the, the most inactive, the, the feeblest among them will be like David. And of course, we find David in the books of history around 1 Samuel, we find his story. And I don't know if you're feeling feeble today, but if you do, you qualify for being like David. Look in the album. What do you see about David? Well, he was a man who ruled. He was a, not one who just ruled his kingdom, but he ruled in life. When he was encouraged, he encouraged himself in the Lord. When he was up against enemies, he withstood them and put them to flight. When, when things were against him, he prayed prayers that motivated God to move on his behalf. There are two great things about David that I want to pull out. Now, there's a lot of great things about David, but two things that stand out in the life of David that I believe are family resemblances that you and I share. The first one is this. He was a warrior. And the second one is this. He was a worshiper. He was a warrior and he was a worshiper. And in scriptures, you find those thing, two things go hand in hand, really. They go together. And it's a strange combo. War and worship. And Psalm 146, it's, verse 6, it tells us, The people of God marched to war with the high praises of God in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hands. Warriors and worshipers. When Jehoshaphat was facing an invasion, we find him in the books of history as well. He gathered the army together and in response to the prophetic word, he sent out the army and he sent them out to battle. And it says that in front of the army, he put the choir he put the worshipers, warriors and worshipers. I don't know if he was planning to sing them to defeat, you know, F sharp, F sharp, F sharp, F sharp, F sharp, F sharp. I don't even know what an F sharp is, but it sounds, it sounds good for war. And uh, <laughs> this idea about worshipers and warriors is a constant theme throughout scripture. We find this in the walls of Jericho when, when, when Joshua in the book of Joshua uh, was, was promised by God to take the city of Jericho. It says they marched around the city and it says they put out the priests in front of them and they blew trumpets as they went around. He put out the worshipers first. The worship team was in front before those walls came down. And this certainly epitomizes the life of David. He's, he called himself in scripture in 2 Samuel. He, he gives himself a name. He says, I'm, I'm a sweet singer of Israel. We're like David, we, we're worshipers, it's in our DNA. And that's why I'm a little perplexed when people say to me, you know, like, I'm not really a singer, I'm not really a worshiper, it's just not my personality to sing or worship. It may not come naturally to us, and, and we don't have to be great singers like Steph or Chris, but God wants to release our spirit in worship, to break through into uh, worship like David, to be those who worship God. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The prophets in the Bible tell us that David actually invented musical instruments. He was a worshiper. He, he was so creative and so expressive 
that he invented musical instruments. Not only that, he wrote psalms, he wrote songs, he wrote music, and he, he invented the, 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 the musical instruments to play those songs. He, he just wanted to get everything that he could to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And like David, we can set aside our inhibitions, our fears, our embarrassments, and, and open our mouths to worship in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs. And in our times with God on our own, we can sing, we can sing in our, we can open our mouth in our cars and there's a powerful thing that happens when we open our mouth to sing. Even if we feel like we can't sing, God delights in our praises. He delights in our singing. He delights in our worship. And there's something that happens when we worship that is a very spiritual and a very real thing that we find throughout the whole of Scripture. In Revelation, it says that we will continue singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If we're not ready for worship now, just wait till you get to heaven. It's going to be 24-7 worship services. So my advice is get ready now. In Acts 16, it talks about Paul and Silas in prison. And the Bible tells us that they're, they're chained up. They're in, in the inner prison and they start singing at about midnight. And it says that the prison doors fly open and their chains broke off. Not just for them, but for everyone in the prison. Some breakthroughs and personal wars are won when we open our mouth to sing. David was a worshiper and so are we. It's in the album. David was also a warrior. He was a man of warfare. David said, God trains my hands for war. He's, he called himself the sweet singer of Israel. And he said, God trains my hands for war. No matter what giant or enemy or evil ruler he faced, no matter what challenge, he ran at it head on. You know, the story of Goliath, the, the, the giant that you'll maybe remember from Sunday school. It talks about the Israelites Coming out to battle, this is under the reign of Saul, and we find this in the, in the book of Samuel again. And um, they go out to the battlefield, and, and the enemy, Goliath, comes out and taunts them every single day. And he's, send another one, send another one. And they can't defeat the army, the enemy army, where Goliath is stationed. And until David comes on the scene, they don't see defeat. David comes on the scene as a shepherd boy and he ran directly to the front lines, squared up with that giant and took him down and cut off his head. Now our giants most likely won't be 10 foot tall, hairy guys from Gath, but they can be just as fierce in our lives where we feel like we're facing the same giant every single day. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities, against uh, spiritual rulers and this present day of darkness. They're spiritual enemies. If you're feeling feeble, know this, the promise is that you're like David. In Romans 8, 37, it says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us. David was a worshiper and he was a warrior. It's in the album. And he looks just like you. He looks just like me. In 1 Kings, we're introduced to another spiritual ancestor in whom we have spiritual DNA coursing through our veins. Where we find him in the books of history, it's Elijah. And in James 5.17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Basically, he was just like us. 
and we're just like him. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. We're like Elijah. He's in the family album. There are distinct similarities, a nature like ours. Elijah was a, a, a paradigm prophet in the, in the Old Testament. Not because he wrote anything. He didn't write you know, books like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel and those prophetic guys. He didn't write long books of scripture. But there was something in his very nature that caused him to be the focus of prophetic expectation in the Bible all the way through the New Testament where we even find in John the Baptist, it says he, come, he came before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Witnesses in, in Revelation clearly have the anointing of Elijah on them in the signs and wonders they perform. He was a man of power and a man of prayer. David was a warrior and a worshiper, and we share those traits. But with Elijah, he was a man of power and he was a man of prayer. And we share those traits as well. James tells us that he, he was just like us and he prayed. He prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. That's a powerful prayer. He prayed again on that mountain, persisted, bowing his head low fervently. And the scripture tells us that the heavens opened and it rained again. He prayed in the famous showdown on the mountain with the prophets of Baal where the fire came down and burned up the sacrifice where his prayers were so powerful that God answered by fire from heaven. He was a man like us and he prayed. I wonder what would happen if we prayed more. From what I've seen from churches that I've visited over my 37 years, the lowest attended meeting usually, not in all churches, but traditionally have been the prayer meeting. And yet in so many ways, it's the most vital meeting in our churches. Some of the greatest moves of God were born out of people who prayed fervently. And I encourage us that if we're passionate for God and his purposes, we need to be a people who pray just like Elijah, to call on God, to give him no rest. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a chapter where there's about 25 25 times God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And about 25, 25 times he says, he says this phrase, I will, I will, I will. It's full of promise. It's I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. It, the whole chapter is just riddled with the promises of God. And then right at the end of the chapter, after he, all his I wills, he says, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. In other words, I will do it. But you just ask, ask in faith, ask earnestly, just like Elijah. God wants to partner with us in prayer. He's looking for a partnership where we call on God, where we pray earnestly. We give him no rest until we see him move. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray and give up your prayers and supplications with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God. Ephesians 6:18 says, "And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests." And James 5:13 it says, "If anyone among you is in trouble, let him pray. Pray about everything, talk with God, look to him, call on him. We need it. A man of prayer just like you and I. 
We can be a worshiper, we can be a warrior, we can be a person who prays, a person, a person who prays. And we are also people of power. He was a man of power. He, he was a man who saw miracles, signs, and wonders. Yes, even in the Old Testament. The Bible doesn't tell us much about Elijah. He kind of falls into the scene as the, introduces the Tishbite from Tishbe. And uh, he sort of appears from nowhere. And the interesting thing I find about Elijah is that when he comes on the scene, the first sort of miracles that we see of him, a lot of them take place in the home, in the kitchen, around the house. He was kind of like the, the culinary prophet. There's a good, there's a good pod, podcast or cooking show, The Culinary Prophet. And uh, he's the one where, he, where we find him. He meets the widow and her son. And it, this is a time of drought. This is a time of no rain of which that Elijah prayed for. And there's a backstory to that I encourage you to read with uh, King Ahab, etc. But they're out of food. They, they're down to the last few handfuls of flour and a little bit of oil in the jar. And it's a time of severe drought. And basically this widow and her son are on death row. They're, I don't know where the father was. I mean, the, these people were pretty much dead after that meal. There was no food. It was severe drought. And Elijah, Elijah comes in and he prophesies that her jars would remain full until the rain comes again. And the Bible says a miracle takes place in 1 Kings 17. It says, verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Later on, he goes on and we find him, he raises the widow's son from the dead. Later on, he before he's taken up to heaven, we see him, um, take his cloak and hit the Jordan River and the Jordan River parts and he walks over on dry ground with Elisha, his sort of protege. He was a man of power, just like you and I. In John 14, 12, Jesus promises us and he says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and even greater works than these will they do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Acts 1.8 talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. It says, when the, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. These signs will follow those who believe if you're filled with the Spirit if you are a believer in Christ, you are filled with power. And that word power in Acts 1.8, it's from the Greek word dunamis, which it's the same word in which we get the word dynamite. Dynamite, as we know, is used often in cowboy movies is where I find it most often, but also it's used um, really to, to, to blow up hard rock. It's for, for roads to be paved. It's for buildings to be built. If there's an immovable rock or bedrock or boulder, they use dynamite to blow that thing to smithereens. And there's situations that may seem immovable in your life, but the spirit inside us wants to partner with us to see the impossible situations blasted out of the way. And I believe that he wants us to see miracles, signs, and wonders in our day because it's in the album. We see it all the way through scripture. And I don't believe that he's gone silent on those things. We're filled with power. We're like Elijah, full of power and full of prayer. Elijah, David, 
and so many more as we read through the books of history. I've not got into Joshua or Deborah or Ruth or Esther or Samuel or Solomon and all the other ancestors that we see through all the other books of the Bible. We've got a lot of great ancestors. And we don't need to send in our DNA to, to, to a website to understand our family, our, our spiritual family. You know, those like websites or those ads that, that were popular for a while, probably still are, where you could send in your DNA. I don't know if you're like sending in your spit or your blood or what an eyelash, but they would tell you, you know, you're 25% Irish or 33% African. And each and every day, um, or, and, and with those, it's our natural ancestry, but each and every day for us, we can trace our ancestry, our spiritual ancestry, and we carry it with us. We can carry it with us wherever we go as a reminder of where we came from. And it's right here in this book. We've got some great roots. This isn't just books of history. It's books of our history. This isn't just a list of people long dead. It's a list of my ancestors in the faith. It's in the family album. It's, it's in my spiritual DNA. There's another hero in the books of history called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, not like Zerubbabel or Zechariah and the guys that came back to build the house of the Lord in, in, in the book of Ezra, he came back a generation later to restore the walls of Jerusalem that had fallen down. He faced opposition. He faced threats. He faced people that wanted to, him to compromise what he was set out to do. And he stood secure. And he said this in the midst of pressure to compromise, in the midst of pressure of threats, in the pressure of a planned murder on his head. He said this, he said, should a man like me run away? I feel like that sometimes. I have pressures. I have problems. I have disappointments disappointments, and I'm sure you watching this do too. But should people like us run away? I'd say no, because I'm like David. I'm a worshiper and a warrior. I'd say no, because I'm like Elijah. I'm a man full of power and prayer. And people like us don't run away. It's in the family album. It's in my spiritual DNA. You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't just get a new destiny. I got a new history. I discovered in reading the scriptures that I'm a continuation of the believers that came from before me. I discovered that when you and I come to faith in Christ, we suddenly had this wonderful panoramic view of our spiritual history. We can trace the footsteps of faith all the way through these pages of scripture. This is a book about those who went before us on the path of faith. Of course, we've got a secular history. We've got a family tree that we can send our DNA into and understand where we came from. And, and there's definitely merit in knowing that. There's a value and there's an interest in that, of course. But maybe your past isn't great. Maybe yours isn't very good. Maybe it's not one that you're proud of. I don't know personally, for instance, my biological father. I, I can't trace my biological DNA on my dad's side because I never knew my biological father. And you might not know yours. I don't know. You, you, you may have some heroes in your lineage, but you might have some villains too. And what pleases me more than anything as I read through the scriptures 
is that in my spiritual ancestry, there are heroes of faith that I can lean on and look at and read through and gain faith from. Men and women who were heroes. And I stand in the line of their faith, their journey in the kingdom of God. We're, we're overcomers. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it's not just history, it's our history. So let me ask you again, should someone like you run away? No, because you're like those who've gone before us. It's in your DNA. Amen. You might be watching today and you don't know Jesus and you might have been hearing about this Jesus and the lineage that I've been talking about and family trees and what this guy's, what is this guy on about? My encouragement to you today is that God has a plan for your life. And, and Paul in, in the Bible, he was, a, he was a great man of faith talks about how we who were far from God, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we, come, we become grafted in as branches and, and into, into Him. We become olive branches grafted into God's great olive tree. And we become partakers of His rich sap, of, of its rich goodness, of His grace, of His love, connected to Jesus. That when we become Christians, we, we have a new family tree whereby we can draw on life and salvation and peace and meaning. And you might be watching this and you don't know Jesus, but Jesus has a destiny for you. And not only that, he has a new history for you as well. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. So we who accept him and believe in him as the one true God will have everlasting life and the scriptures tell us that we become adopted into his family. So I'm going to pray today and if you would like to join the family of God, if you'd like to accept Jesus, become a Christian today, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I thank you that you have good things in store for me. I thank you that you love me and that you are my good father. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. That from your sacrifice, all my sins were washed away. And so today, I give you my life. I make you Lord and Savior. I ask that you adopt me into your family. Give me a new destiny and give me a new history. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, church. See you next week for our next installment of the books of the Bible. Praise God. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.